Hello and welcome to another edition of Conversations Beyond the Pew. And I'm your host, forever love to talk person, Kara Hildebrandt. And today I'm pretty excited because I have yet another interview. And this one is with Renee Roderer. And you say, who is Renee Roderer? And so I would like her to introduce herself. Uh, we do know each other, so if you hint, if you sense that we might be friends, that is true. Yes, hello everyone. My name is Renee Roderer, and I'm Kara Hildebrandt's friend. <laughs> <laughs> there um, you go. Among other things, I am a community chaplain and organize this community called Michigan Nuns and Duns. We're going to talk about that today. Um, I also live in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and just absolutely do love my community. And I am now also doing some part-time work with an organization called the Interfaith Roundtable of Washtenaw County. We're an interfaith dialogue community, which is so important in these days Mm -hmm. that we are living. And I also work at the Epilepsy Foundation of Michigan, which is very important to me, very near and dear to my heart, and grateful to join that staff in doing some really great things. So um, those are some things I do. Other things I love, I, I love working with young adults, um, building relationships. I love being a mentor. I love good food. I love hosting people in my home. That's a joy for me. Which that's where we are today. (laughs) And she has pulled out the tea. So I have had, because I'm on a special diet and can't have anything good anymore. I got to have tea that was sugar cookie sleigh ride. Who doesn't love that? So yes, she (laughs) loves to host and I love to be hosted. It's a match. It's a match. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Um, So, let's see. We've known each other now four years, almost five years. Um, Full disclosure, as my listeners know, I am a reverend, but you are one as well. Um, Also in the Presbyterian Church. Uh, where we try to be open and loving and welcome everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so full disclosure on that. But I really wanted to interview Renee because of the whole nuns and duns. And you may be going, what, is, what does that mean? And so what does the word, when we say the nuns and duns, who are we talking about? Who are we talking about? Um, those words came into being through sociological studies in the study of religion, um, but they are meant to describe certain kinds of demographic groupings of people. So they're not always precise labels of identity or belief, but they're these demographic groupings that reveal something um, in ways that people are practicing um, ways that people are engaging. So the nuns are not Catholic nuns, um, though Catholic nuns can be great. They're the (laughs) N-O-N-E-S kind of nuns. And this came about through a study uh, that the Pew Research Center did. Actually, they did it twice, um, in 2007 and then again in 2015. And it was part of the um, U.S. Religious Landscape Study, where they did a big quantitative study calling about 35,000 people across the United States. Oh, wow. And it's a, it's a study on religious affiliation, political beliefs, and um, spiritual practices. So one of the things, one of the questions that was asked is, what is your religious affiliation? And because it's quantitative, they gave a bunch of answers people could select from. And one was called none. 
And um, in both studies, a sizable amount of people chose that option to describe their religious affiliation or rather their unaffiliation. Mm-hmm. And that number grew cons- um, quite a bit, actually, but between 2007 and 2015, and I think it's growing all the time. So people who are nuns are, are, again, demographic grouping of people who are religiously unaffiliated, meaning they don't have any membership or necessarily consistent participation um, with any one particular religious tradition. That doesn't mean they don't believe anything. I think sometimes this term has been used pejoratively a bit that way, and that's kind of the risk of the term. So, so they wouldn't classify themselves as an atheist. Well, they might actually. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, right. because um, well, the study also when people could choose none, there were these subcategories, and okay. one was atheist, another was agnostic, and then the biggest category of what people like subcategory that people chose was nothing in particular. Um, but of course, those are three options. Some people might right. accept yes. that very differently. Right. So, um, so those are the nuns. Those who are unaffiliated. So there's also been this really great book by Elizabeth Drescher called Choosing Our Religion, The Spirituality of America's Nuns. And I love her book because what she did is greatly expand upon the Pew Research Center study because she did a qualitative research study and did a lot of interviews with people who would fall under that demographic bracket. Mm -hmm. And and I think what was great is that she allowed space for people to talk about their spiritual traditions and practices and, and beliefs um, on their own terms, as opposed to being described by what they're not, like not uh, affiliated, not going to church, yeah. not, you know, like yes. here's the things they are. And yep. that book is phenomenal. So I recommend that. Um, the other term that you mentioned are the duns and some sociologists said, we, we really need a second term because there are people who, um, have maintained a sense of religious identity, specific religious identity, but have left the institution most associated with that identity. So duns most often, and of course that term actually came about in the context of saying Christians who identify as Christian, but who have left congregations, or sometimes who have been pushed out of congregations. Right. And they still affiliate, or they still um, identify as Christian and practice that. And so there was another, there's another book that I highly recommend by two sociologists named Joshua Packard and Ashley Hope. And that book is called Church Refugees. And is another qualitative study that interviewed Duns, and one of the things they discovered was that a lot of a lot of folks in that demographic grouping or that, those sets of experiences were not people on the fringe of church life, but were often church leaders who got oh, um, interesting, yeah, who got burned out, or they a lot of them began they they tended to be some of the most missional yeah, yeah. and connectional people in the church, like okay. who wanted to connect to the neighborhoods beyond. Yeah churches and found that as churches were shrinking, interestingly interestingly enough, sometimes because nuns are affiliating less, those numbers go down. And then sometimes congregations have this very natural anxiety about their future. Are we going to be able to sustain ourselves? Can we sustain our budget? Can we sustain paying a pastor? Yeah. Our membership, all of those things. And then sometimes, you know, that can take on a life of its own where congregations become anxious and become very insular. Like, it's all about, like, our own survival. Uh, And that's when the duns would get really frustrated, um, or they would try new things and there wouldn't Mm -hmm. be openness to it. And, of course, there are some people who have just been marginalized right out the door. So um, so those that's where those terms come from. And, um, you know, pe- some people identify through those terms. Other people don't identify through that but might fall into those categories as demographics. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in thinking through that and thinking, you know, these are people 
they're not affiliated necessarily with anything or they've been pushed out. So they've had maybe a negative experience with church and so they don't want anything to do. Maybe they're still cool with something about Jesus or some other religion, but they're just really not fitting in to, or it seems they're not fitting in. So there's this sense then you've decided, okay, there's this whole group of people and how do I be a community chaplain? So, which is fascinating, right? So how do you see that position? Like, what do you do as a community chaplain? Let me explain a little bit how this came to be. So, um, you know, as you said, like building a community of people who are unaffiliated or who have de-affiliated, uh, one of the things that was on my mind back in 2015, um, was I was thinking about these terms, which at the time were like buzzwords and thinking about the people behind those and one other thing I should say about the Duns is, is there's, this, you know, this experience, not everybody's experiences, but, you know, spiritual trauma or like some kind of oh, yeah. misbehavior had happened, um, some abuse of power Ugh. in congregations. And so for some people, they didn't want to leave, but they felt right. like for my spiritual health and well-being, I have to leave. Yeah. And, and so there was this grief about it, like, mm-hmm. because it didn't fully feel like a choice. It felt like, you know, the the lesser choice that they wouldn't have wanted. So I was thinking about people who have gone through that experience. And um, there's a particular kind of grief, I think, in that experience because you find yourself grieving every single person in a congregation at once and that sense of larger belonging. And so so one day, I mean, it's interesting how sometimes um, an idea can just pop in our minds. And, you know, I think we can... (laughs) The light bulb really does go off like in the cartoons. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, with (laughs) connecting to other people, people in ways that you can discern together and and all of that that you go oh my gosh like this is a direction so so anyway I just I was thinking about that I was at the farmer's market in Ann Arbor out in the neighborhood and uh thinking about these categories and people and I thought well gosh what if there was a community for both of these kinds of experiences that brought nuns and duns together and they could build friendships and talk about faith and spirituality make larger meaning together and... But under their terms. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, and and those are not the same kinds of experiences, nuns and duns. So they right. those kinds of ways of interacting with that mm-hmm. would be really interesting. So so I thought, well, I'll just try something. I knew about meetup.com, which is this online platform that totally sounds like a dating site. Uh, but but isn't. But it is, isn't. It is for, not a dating site. So if you're looking for a dating site, just go on past. Look, look for something else. But... <laughs> Meetup is for people who are looking for friends around shared interests. So okay. I thought, well, what if I started a meetup group? And the way it works is people join the online platform, and then the organizer, in this case me, will set a time to meet. Like, okay, this is what we're going to do together. We're going to meet at such and such place on this day. And then people RSVP, and they come. So I'm like, okay, let's do that. So I wrote this description. Just put it, you know, it's sort of funny because it was like, just try something. Our, I just, this is a very silly tidbit in this, but our detail, um, like, my partner Ian and I were watching Star Wars, like episode four. And I was just okay. sitting there like making this meetup group. But I wrote this description. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just like, just try something. Um, and, I, and the first line of our group description says, we're a community for people who are spiritually curious, but institutionally suspicious. All right. Yes. And, I, I, you know, I know a lot of people who resonate with that kind of language. And since I've been doing this work, I know even more people who resonate with that kind of language and um so that you know this was a community talk about faith and spirituality and um 
and there were some questions like, you know, are, are you um, intrigued by the teachings of Jesus but leery of church? Would you describe yourself as spiritual but not religious? Um, things like that. And then just saying, like, you know, whether you are a nun, a dun, or, or something else. You know, like, yeah. you're just welcome to to join us. Um, and then I, this was really important. I said, this is no bait and switch trying to get someone to join a church. Right. Because right. People get so suspicious back to being institutionally suspicious. Right. Because they show up for something and it seems like it's under like one particular auspice. And then it's like, just kidding. Right. We're really trying to like get you. So right. Right. <laughs> Which is why I do the whole like neighborhood picnic because yes. it's like, no, we just need to meet each other. Yes. Like, I'm not trying to get you to come in through the doors of the church. I We just need to know each other because yes. neighbors don't know each other anymore. Exactly. And that's a ministry in and of itself, um, which I can say more about that later because it's something I really feel passionate about. So I just put this in the world and then people started joining, which was so cool. And so we had our first meeting um, in October of 2015 at a pizza restaurant in Ann Arbor. And um, yeah, one thing that was really intriguing to me about that was two people who had came like independently who didn't know each other had driven a whole hour to get to it oh wow yeah so it was like, like there was like this real want like wait a minute i i really want a community where we can talk about all kinds of things there's no bait and switch we we could just explore with each other exactly. these questions we have yeah yeah. And, yeah and i was like oh my gosh i you know my just trying something like i might have stumbled into something that had like an even bigger need than i knew about so that seemed to be really confirmed um, in, uh, let's see, January of 2016. We had our second gathering, and this was the one that just felt like magic. It's just amazing. We had eight people show up, and we were at Sweetwater's Coffee and Tea across from Eastern Michigan University. And most people did not know each other that day, so I... I just described what our group was about, basically. Yeah. I described, you know, not as long as I did on this podcast, but just a little tidbit of... Oh, like, I'll just like, edit it out. No, I'm kidding, kidding, like, kidding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> here's what nuns are, here's what nuns are. And, um, you know, that might fit you, might not. I'm just glad that you're here. So let's go around and introduce ourselves. Would you say your name, and would you describe yourself as a nun, a dun, something in between, or something else? Okay. And I thought this was going to take, like, five minutes. We, I even had a whole topic for the day for us to explore, but basically this really sacred thing happened where one by one around a circle, everybody told like their whole faith and spirituality journey, like the whole arc for them. Oh, wow. And yeah, it that's was, powerful. It was very powerful. And I should say like at least half the group had had really, really garbage experiences like to the level of trauma inside churches oh that's so sad it it is so sad and so unnecessary too so unnecessary and it felt a little bit like oh my gosh people just have been waiting for someone to ask them this yeah and to have space like safe space or safe enough space that can be connectional and to name things like that um and so, but the other thing about it was, even though that's heavy content, and it is in terms of story, it did not feel like that in the moment. It was this release. And, mm-hmm. like, people were sort of, like, connecting with each other and, and, like, oh, my gosh, me too, me too. Like, ah, you know, like, feeling not alone in that kind of experience, even though all the stories were unique in particular. So um, it was so energizing. And that is when, again, January 2016, I left and I was like, this is definitely my new direction. This is a calling. Yeah. And we need groups like this. We need this yeah. particular community. So so um, that that's a long first part to uh, answer to your question. But So community chaplaincy came out of that. So the group was born first. 
And after doing that for a while, um, I found myself kind of drawn to a vision of, you know, what would it be like to be a pastor or a chaplain, spiritual friend, mentor to a town? Like, what if you sort of thought of yourself as a, as a pastor to a town and, um, yeah, or a chaplain to a town. And so I, I approached the Presbytery of Detroit about this idea and, um, the Presbytery being the, uh, the kind of, it's all, it's kind of like a diocese it's, mm-hmm. and it's centered around Wayne County, Washtenaw, Livingston, Macomb. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yep. So it's like a geographical body and, uh, but, it, but it's also a community of people and leaders. And so I went to them and I said, what if we created a role for me that we call community chaplaincy? And, and that expanded what this was because Michigan nuns and duns, the community is part of that. But also um, I began to do campus ministry and spend a lot of time um, at the University of Michigan specifically meeting with students and young adults, faculty and staff, and especially people who are religiously unaffiliated. So yeah. um, meeting people where they are, hearing their stories, hearing what they long for, and then I, one of my favorite things to do in the whole world, like we were talking about hosting, the real reason I love hosting is I love connecting people to people. It's my favorite thing. I think it yeah. might be my best gift. And um, that sense of just sort of building a web of belonging. And, nice. and what's cool about it is like for people who I think have that skill set or that vision or that longing, what's really wonderful is it's really crafting space that just makes it possible. You don't mm-hmm. make it happen. So sometimes right. I am like stunned and overjoyed when I see people that I've met and that I've come to love, like come to meet each other, come to love each other, do things together. Like that's, that's a real joy. So um, that was part of community chaplaincy too. And I think also being present and being a facilitator of connections in the area of just social action, things that are happening in our town, needs that are happening, um, things that people need economically or socially, uh, different kinds of movements that are happening, as we know, and and just kind of accompanying people and learning from them, and also sometimes when when I'm invited or when it's possible to connect people to that, including congregations to that. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so that's an important part of that work. So that's what community chaplaincy is, and it's such a joy because I'm... as I've said to some people, I feel like I have one foot in the church and one foot out. And it's not yeah. like, and I just stand there. You know, it's it's not 50%, 50%. It kind of feels like 100%, 100%, this kind of dialectical way of um, engaging kind of church world and church beyond the pews, if you want to say that, or, or just yeah. neighborhood, even neighborhood beyond church, neighborhood that is done with church. Right. And loving those folks. And also, so I find myself um, not doing baits and switch, bait and switches back and forth, but but doing a lot of translation work. You know, okay, like, here's cool. what I'm learning here. Here's what I'm learning here. Yeah. And kind of doing some connecting that way too. So all of that is community chaplaincy, and I have learned a ton. Yeah. Which is, it, this... This conversation about connecting is kind of cool because in a previous podcast, I talked about this real need for connection and that Mm -hmm. we've lost this connection uh, to each other, even in our own families Mm -hmm. or um, amongst friends, that there's a sense humans, we need to be connected. And so to be the facilitator of doing connections, being very intentional about connections I mean, if we were all connected, our communities would be so much healthier. Yes, absolutely. And everybody wants it. It's but we've like we we can't totally we haven't figured out how to do it. Yeah. Um, so as a community chaplain, you are this connector, 
and loving people where they are Mm -hmm. and just, you know, let's just talk to each other. Exactly. And I learned so much, you know, as much as, um, you know, I think inside the church for a lot of reasons, because we've done it in harmful ways or manipulative ways, you know, the word evangelism, you know, to, to testify to experience and to testify to what we have, um, loved in like following the way of Jesus is one thing, but also to be evangelized in other ways by people who don't walk that pathway, you know, who are sort of, um, not in a, because we are so used to that word being about convincing and manipulating, not that, but like hearing where people are and hearing like, Oh my gosh, God, is it light? Is it work in your life? Like, and I'm not surprised, but like I am invited in a particular way. That's really wonderful. Um, I should also say there are community chaplains who do community chaplaincy in a variety of ways. There are people who have um, done this in other towns where they're sort of connecting churches to, you know, social justice organizations and things like that. So there are a lot of different ways to build a community. I think I'm the first, I feel pretty confident, I'm the first and maybe the only community chaplaincy for nuns and nuns, you know. Nice. But um, Which is cool. But I want to say more about this connectional piece because I think you're absolutely right about it. I think churches a lot of times... This is something I would want to say to churches, our folks, you know, church communities. There are a lot of times where we come up with these ideas. Who knows? Maybe someone else has that little light bulb moment. And, and yeah. we bring that before the church and we say, what if we did something like this? And, and when, when, when congregations are in a survival mindset, sometimes their question is, yeah, but what will it benefit us? Right, 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 right. 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 Like it, it's, I, we're only going to do it if it benefits it's us. Like a, we got to do a cost-benefit analysis. Right. And that's rooted in that anxiety, and the anxiety is real and, and understandable, but you know, that's, not, that's not a healthy way to do ministry. It's also not what Jesus said to do. No. Just to be clear, Jesus did not say. Yeah. Jesus also, is like, nope, you got to love each other. First commandment, love God. Second, love each other. Yeah. Not, hey, make sure you draw some boundaries about keeping certain people out, or yeah. you're only going to do it if they're going to give money or exactly. hang out with you on Sunday mornings at a particular time. Exactly. You know, I look at. I always sort of joked about it, but it's not that I don't love congregational ministry, but Jesus was not like going like working inside a synagogue on behalf of a synagogue. That's like right. how he was like spending his time. And he right. was a person who like worshiped that synagogue and was in community there. Um, but one thing I want to say about this connection, and I just really encourage congregations to think about this, but even beyond that, like survival men's um, mentality. Um, I think another thing that happens when people evaluate whether they should or discern, you know, whether mm-hmm. you go down a ministry direction or try a new idea, it's also like, well, we don't want to just be a social club. We want to make sure, like, it really is rooted in our relationship to Jesus and all these things. And I understand that because, like, we, we don't want church to only be a social club. Like, we are right. together um, based on, uh, you know, a fellowship of belonging and and, and connection and calling, right? Right. But the, I think I want to swing the pendulum back and say, do not forget that socialization and connection is a ministry in and of itself. And it yeah. is like the one that is like so, so needed in our world. And yeah. um, none of the others aren't. I'm just saying it's so vitally needed. So like we right. don't always, uh, well, sometimes we do, but we don't, like churches don't always say like, okay, we're going to have a food pantry but we got to make sure we talk about Jesus at the food pantry or we're going to do, uh, we're going to have right. a meal for folks who are experiencing homelessness, but we have to, like, we can't do it unless we, now we might talk about those things, but we don't have that contingency. Right. And I would say the same thing with like community connection, like that changes people's bodies. I mean, I'm very, I'm 
very trauma informed about how I think about things. And, you know, Mm -hmm. everybody is moving through the world with certain needs in their bodies. And like that isolation is, it's a public health crisis, right? It is a public health crisis. Do you know about the study that, uh, insurance company did? I don't, I don't know. And so it came out um, either, I think it was this past winter, and maybe it's already been more than a year, and the insurance company realized that loneliness was becoming such a problem that it was becoming a public health crisis mm. because it hits their bottom line. And so they wanted to know who exactly was the loneliest. And as you would expect, uh, you know, most people form, well, it, it must be the older people who can't get out. No, no, no. It was 18 to 22-year-olds are the loneliest people in our society. Mm-hmm. And because they may be connected on social media, but they're completely disconnected from human connection, yes. yeah. which is so sad. It's like so it's so, sad. and it's disturbing mm-hmm. that we become that disconnected from each other because we have... All of us have amazing gifts. All of us have amazing stories that we can help each other with. Mm-hmm. And so it's like this mutuality that that's now disappeared. Yeah. I, you know, I didn't know the whole of that study, but I do remember like hearing that. Like, you know, there was a study done and like mm-hmm. young adults at this age are the, are the loneliest and they're the ones often, not always, but um, they're college age. And you sort of think about people who have... I mean, what a, it's such a time of like simultaneously being an adult and also like emerging into adulthood, you know, right. like there, but not all the way there. And I think one of the most important things I ever do, and I just think uh, folks in churches should never underestimate this, is just go and be an adult with emerging adults. Like just be someone present, just be someone right. who's prepared or who's willing to accompany them and where they are. And that's the other thing I should say about, I think about my calling over time is that's every position I've ever been in and every role I've ever been in has led to me being in beautiful mentoring relationships with young adults. And that has changed my life. I I don't think anything has impacted my sense of joy in the world more than that. Um, And that's just a big part of what I do. But I, I, I think all of us have those, all of us have unique connections and unique positions that we are in to yeah. expand belonging and that you, you cannot underestimate what that does mm-hmm. because belonging becomes the space for transformation um becomes the space for transformation for us and um you just can't anticipate it but that's right. that's where the spirit's at work and that's where humanity is at work and right. possibility is at work yeah well and if you think about it i mean We've all had experiences where we've either had a conversation with someone or we've had an interaction with someone, and it's changed our lives for the better. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are those that have definitely changed <laughs> our lives for the worse, but I really want to focus on the fact that you yes. can have these moments with other people that are so important that may even like change how you view others or even how your your path that you're on yeah. can um, have a profound effect Um the city of uh, the school system of Lincoln Park ha- is doing trauma informed, mm-hmm. and so that's the basis of everything. They don't even start teaching curriculum until they get all of that. It kind of how how are we building relationships that's first, so and yeah. how are we making sure people are belonging? And it, it's that push of if we don't feel like we belong, and we don't have somebody to connect to then what's going to happen once we get out the door? Or can we even learn? 
Like they, they realize that the kids can't even learn until they start those foundations. Um, and so it, it's the foundation of society. Yeah. And yet we have, we've been tearing that apart. Absolutely. In, in many different ways. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely. not just one. Yeah, interpersonally and systemically and absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's like when we are connected. I think one of the things I'm most excited about right now in um, starting this, I'm the new co-director with Dwight Wilson at the Interfaith Roundtable. The thing I'm, I, there's a lot that excites me about doing this work, mm-hmm. but one of the things that really energizes me is just the joy of building a web of connections yeah. where people know each other across faith traditions and across uh, across this county that we're in, in Washtenaw County, because you never know how years down the road right. something is needed Right. Or it could be as small as like, I know someone to have a conversation about that, which can transform someone's life. Or when there's a crisis, it can just travel through that network. And so I, one of the things I remember saying to the board um, when I was entering this position is just like, there are people who will come to our dialogues and will have their lives transformed because of something someone said or something right. that they, a way that they've deepened. I said, but there are people who will never come to anything we do who will be impacted because we built this web, and we'll ne- we might not, we'll never know. <laughs> right, right, right. It's it's the yeah. whole ripple effect, right? Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. the ripple in the pond. Yes, connections are the avenue for possibility. Yeah. So, what do you want people to know about individuals mm-hmm. who say they are non-affiliated mm-hmm. or they are done? What's the, what's something that you want other people to that really? That is such a good question. Thank you. I would say. Um, that people, um, yeah, the folks who come to our gatherings, like they do have beliefs and some are theological, but they have like core convictions that are driving them and, you know, never be dismissive Mm -hmm. of that. Um, so one of the things that's really interesting about this language that I, I didn't anticipate, I just used spiritually curious, institutionally suspicious, because that's language a mentor and I have used for years. Yeah. Um, I putting that in the world is very interesting because what I've discovered is it brings together a lot of people from very different backgrounds who resonate with that, but but have you know a different sense of what that means for them. So we have occasionally had some atheists come to our gatherings, and I should say Michigan nuns and duns like just meets in coffee shops and restaurants, and we have these yeah. kind of discussions. And so sometimes we've had some atheists, we've had some people who would say they're secular humanists. Um, We've had definitely had some agnostic people, including some of kind of the core leaders who have become leaders of our group. And yeah. we have de-affiliated Christians, back to the Duns. We have people who are, um, occasionally we've had clergy come who are like, I need a third space because church is hard for me. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. hard being in community with people. Yeah, yeah. Like when you're like in community with a particular group of people all the time, it can sometimes be hard. Exactly. Like I just we have- need another space to say... Some things I need to say, but that's yeah. happened a few times. We've had people who um, uh, practice or uh, align with certain kind of energy work and maybe what might be called new age sort of things. So people will show up and, and I think, how rare is it for all of these people to be sitting down together and right. talking about yeah. things that really matter? And what's lovely is everybody can be particular. You know, it's not as though we can only talk about what our like single most common denominator is like we can be ourselves. And what's yeah. great about that is like everybody knows I'm a Presbyterian minister. And I started this when I was really in transition and I was I was not employed by a church. I'm still not employed by a church even though I'm affiliated or I'm connected to a church as a parish associate. Um, 
but at the time I wasn't doing that at all, but I never had to hide that. You know, mm-hmm. I think I had to make very clear, I'm not here to like, um, move you from X to Y or right, or right. You're, back you're, into my church or something right. like that. So people, um, thankfully have trusted me, but I, I'm, I'm kind of the weirdo there that has to sort of explain that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I never want to be disingenuous, um, before them or to myself or, or that tradition. Uh, and at the same time, I just want to be expansive in how I think about, I, I learn from people. I mean, I have had people come who um, are from backgrounds mm-hmm. very different than mine or who have spiritual practices so outside of my own kind of belief system or practice. And I, I've just found myself like once I'm able to sort of enter why that's important to someone, I just learn so much. And the same yeah. kind of thing happens that if you've ever done uh, for people who've ever done interfaith dialogue where you go, oh my gosh, like that's a unique thing about your tradition. And wow, I love that aspect. How, how can I not appropriate that, but, um, but find ways that that connects deeply to my tradition because I've never seen things that way before. I've never yeah. practiced it's the same kind of thing even happens among unaffiliated people too, right? you know, and there's like, this wow. learning. I'm like, oh my gosh, I should think about that. And, uh, that's been really good. So, um, we do get people from a variety of backgrounds and particularities, we might say. Thankfully, it's been very rare to have like a debate situation where it gets like yeah. heated or something. Yeah. Um, and that's really wonderful. So I, we just sort of create the circle in a way that we, we say like everybody's enriching everybody here. And that happens. A mutual respect. Yes, exactly. Oh, yeah. mutual respect. Don't that, we need that? Oh my goodness, <laughs> do we need that? That's, that's a whole other podcast, I'm afraid. Um, well, thank you, Renee. For oh, joy, in you. fact, I mean, I, we may have to do this again because <laughs> there's so much in this. Um, one last question, All though. Right. What piece of wisdom do you try to live by? Oh, so good question. And how do I answer that? Um, I promise I'm not just saying this because of the topic. I do think about this all the time. Mm-hmm. I believe that connection changes everything. And, and what I'm like, I think about situations that are sometimes hard, things that are going on um, with our just systemic ways of being in the world, also the interpersonal yeah. things that people are experiencing. And, one, and, and I, I thought about this a lot in my new role at the Epilepsy Foundation too, um, because Sadly, and I could say a lot more about that, this condition is often very stigmatized and there's a lot of social isolation for some people. Yeah. And I, I, I find myself thinking that like connection doesn't always fix things. You know, sometimes right. people are going through real hardship, but it always changes it. So having a sense nice. of connection changes a reality, even a slight amount, you know, in ways that can be very life-giving or, or um, sustaining. And so I really do think that's, that's probably my wisdom I try to live by. Right. And I've received from that too. Over time, I mean, I have received so much from community. I would not be myself if people had not chosen me uh, and really created belonging space for me. It changed my whole world and it changed my worldview where I just want to multiply that all over the place. So that's my hope. I do it imperfectly, um, but I want to do it with all that I have. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Thank well, thank you so much for sitting down. Thank you for the tea. I'm glad yeah. we can do this. You got and your sugar cookie, sort of. Sugar, sugar cookie, cookie sort of. <laughs> yes, which had no sugar um, <laughs> at all. <laughs> no carbs. Um, but this was fun, and was I have fun. a feeling uh, we'll be doing this again. I would love so it. anytime. To all those listening, um, I hope 
you found something in this, uh, heard something, um, and I hope you have more questions. <laughs> Most definitely. I'm all Yay! about the questions. Yes, and people, I would also say, people have a blog if you want to follow that. So it's, right. you have to be able to spell my name, which has so many E's and R's, but that's ReneeRoderer.com, R-E-N-E-E-R-O-E-D-E-R-E-R.com. Well, I will make sure to put that in the show notes. Thank you. So, all right. Well, may your week, your weekend, whenever you're listening to this, may you find some joy and may you know that there are others out there who love and want you to connect and belong. Yes. Have a good one. <laughs> Bye.